Welcome everyone. Everyone um, arriving uh, so quickly, I have the most um, <laughs> uh, ordinary and elegant image that popped into my head. It was like, you know, when they open the doors at a concert, and everybody goes <laughs> so strange. It's like, oh, here comes my friends. It's so great to see everybody. So let's uh, find our seats and take our seat and sit uh, together uh, amidst all the the kind-heartedness and goodness, the, the depth and commitment that your arrival demonstrates, sitting in the midst of all of that.
there are so many important qualities which arise through our willingness to be silent together and, and still. Every wisdom tradition encourages it. We're not simply trying to be quiet. We're not waiting for something to arrive in the future. I think it's important to appreciate a reverence for silence and a respect. that prepares us and encourages us and to meet a territory of what's unknown and maybe unknowable. And yet realizable and livable. But we don't know that. Just respecting what seems like nothing, this silence. But it's only nothing to that part of us that wants to be engaged in something. So this is not a period of waiting for something, as I said, and it's not something that later will fill. Welcome the silence. Offer your body to meet it through stillness. and appreciate the way that the silence is always present. And it's a patient, spacious presence, even as we speak or act.
might notice an urge to fill a space or take care of someone if there's a long space of silence during our practice. Just notice that urge without acting on it. There's something more profound you're providing that the spacious, attentive, wakeful silence. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's so very good to be back, back at home, uh, and also back in this home uh, with, with all of you. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I want to say uh, first how much I appreciate uh, those wonderful teachers who have uh, supported and encouraged the Sangha on so many levels, including uh, the three teachers who have... Um, offer themselves so fully in, in the weeks when I was away. Um, you know, several weeks ago when uh, Lori uh, came forward, I'm, it's still ringing in my ears when she mentioned the, the statement, bodhisattvas teach by means of their own vulnerability. And the beautiful way that she embodied that teaching those of you that were there, in which she began in a, in a quite um, vulnerable way to narrate her own internal present moment experience of meeting fear and anxiety 
and doing so in a way that was quite beautiful and appropriate, uh, but quite tender. Bodhisattvas teach by the means of their own vulnerability. So what do Bodhisattvas teach? What's their job? A bodhisattva's job is to meet each situation and each relationship and turn it just a bit more towards awakening, whatever's possible. And I, I could hear and feel in Lori's presence in her offering that this is what she was inviting. And I heard it in your responses to her. I saw it began to unfold. And then Suzanne, in the next week, took this up. How do we encourage this turn that the Bodhisattva takes? And how do we encourage this unfolding? And she named it that the foundation is what she called bodyfulness. Not just thoughtfulness, thoughtfulness, or mindfulness, but bodyfulness. Reminding us that wakeful attention is grounded in embodied sensation and lived out through our body, that that's the ground of our, our being, our bodies, the shared heart and mind of this Buddha body. I'm reminded of the, the great uh, dancer and teacher of dance in Austin, Deborah Hay. And one of her seminal books that she's written about her work, the title of that book is My Body, the Buddhist. And how are we to embody? Well, there, there are many practices. And Josh demonstrated one of them so beautifully. The next week, as he began to weave his summer reflections, um, but not just the kind of reflections we have when we come back to school and say, what I did on my summer vacation. He was weaving his heart and mind and soul uh, in th these experiences, um, some of, most of which had some quality and that wonderful word you use in visualization, which uh, most of us, I think, probably don't know. When I looked it up, you know, it had some definitions about to watch over, especially like to monitor and examine. It said, particularly British. <laughs> so Americans, we wouldn't know it so much. But, but Josh reminded me, in vigilate, it descends from the Latin verb uh, vigilare, meaning to stay awake. To stay awake. And to be awakeful, not just through cool curiosity, but through warm wondering. And this is the life of a bodhisattva. And these three bodhisattvas, uh, I think, expressed it quite beautifully. And all of you met them uh, in ways that were quite beautiful to help unfold those, those teachings. Through our vulnerability, as Laurie spoke about, through body fullness, as Suzanne taught, and through our own stories of our lives as we watched over each other and stayed awake with each other in Visual 8. So I want to take these a little bit further um, in, my own, in my own ways and talk to, um, maybe a little bit about context for practice, which I, I spoke about in our sitting with silence. 
the practice of inquiry at, at, at the center, and the place for deep questions, which is the essence of Zen practice. Uh, and I, I want to uh, recommend to you, <clears throat> pardon me, um, maybe most of you have, have seen the new book by Joan Sutherland, uh, Through Forest of Every Color, Awakening um, with Koans. <clears throat> Even if you're not interested or uh, wonder about koan practice, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful book, and she's such a, a marvelous teacher and um, a beautiful writer. I would recommend it. And I also show it to you because I'm going to draw some things out. And specifically, if you have the book, because I know so many of you do, from chapter two, which is called Born in Fire. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what that's about. Let's start with context. The current context of practice. Because context matters. This is one thing that I've been teaching on recently. So many people will t take the idea that if one practices, that you would be, um, by your own personal efforts, you could be free. But context matters. It's, it's part of what you're meeting, what you're intimate with, and what you're responding to all the time. And there's some history I've heard many of my teachers speak about, and Joan Sutherland talks about the what happened in early uh, China between the 6th and the 8th century, where everything seemed to be falling apart. Sound familiar? And the way that things were falling apart, and that time in China, many uh, over a thousand years ago, was that there was um, overwhelming diseases, there were invasions, there was rebellion in the country itself, and famine, and two-thirds of the population died. So the people who have died from COVID, that's a drop in the bucket. Imagine that two-thirds of the people in the United States would die from the kind of things that we're facing. This is the context out of which Chan, these practices developed. And so not only was practice not diminished during that time, it was riveted. Um, and you've heard me say this many, many, many times. And I was so, um, you know how exciting it is when somebody agrees with you? You know, <laughs> I read this sentence in Joan Sutherland. She says, Chan practice wasn't about getting free of the world. It was about being free in the world. It's like, that's exactly what I said. It's, it's so lovely to hear these teachings echo back, you know. <clears throat> and she, she reflected on uh, Hui Ning, who was one of our, our deep ancestors at that time, saying that she said, it's not enough to see what Buddha nature is. You have to realize what Buddha nature does what it does. And this is what's important in this context. And this is what the three teachers in the last three weeks have been talking about. Um, because the need was so great at that time, the need is so great at this time, that there wasn't time for people to collapse in despair or lack confidence or run away. The need was too great. And it reminds me of Joko's 
invitation, if not demand, <laughs> turn toward each moment. Not not to rub your face in it. That is, a, it's not a, some sort of, a, um, you know, a meanness <laughs> or being harsh with yourself. It's not a punishment or a failure if you don't, but what you begin to realize is that what's unfolding in this context, even as difficult as it might be, this is the great sutra revealing itself, this life. And that everything you see is Buddha nature. That doesn't mean everything you see is, so we, we, we map onto it, goodness. It means everything is reality, is perfection, is what's happening. That's what Buddhists see. That's what they respond to. And everything you see is you. And at a time when these old teachers, that's what they saw. And what they saw were ruined villages, refugees, wildfires, dwindling lakes and rivers, clouded skies. You know, we see clogged roadways, people with guns. This is the current sutra. This is all me, this is all you, so move deeper. Embrace this and see what needs to be done. What, what does Buddha nature do? And it's all happening in relationship because awakening only happens between. There was a, a wonderful uh, sentence that Sutherland used in a word that once again, is not an ordinary word I love this. She said, practice is about making us fetchable. Not curious the way she used the word. Practice makes us fetchable. It helps us to recognize what gets in the way of our being fetched. Then it gives us a method to deconstruct the obstacles. What's in the way of life taking us and us taking life? And it's one of the reasons why it's important to be silent. It's sort of the uh, the crude. I know it's harsh. Uh, people say, "Well, what are you what are you doing in zazen?" It's like, "Well, sit down, shut up, and sit up straight, <laughs> and see what you're caught by." That's a little harsh way to say it, you know. But so this is the context, and then we meet an inquiry. This is the foundation of our Zen practice are these face to face encounters. That's what how those koans came out of that, because <clears throat> our form of practice is grounded in relationality, in ongoing concourse. It's not a private endeavor. Uh, some of you who are, um, I say this affectionately, you know, Zen nerds who like the history, uh, Shitu in, uh, in, in China, or Sikito Kisen is the name in, in Japan, is one of our ancestors in Soto Zen. He's a very important ancestor. He wrote The Song of the Grass Hut. Some of you have read that poem, and he wrote uh, the Sandokai, the merging of difference and unity, one of the things we chant in our, our liturgy often. And <clears throat> the students came to him, and there was a, a, a summary of the way they were coming to him, and, and listened to this short four interaction summary, and imagine us here online, and imagine how it goes in inquiry. The student comes to Sakita Kisen, 
a thousand years ago and says, what am I supposed to do? And he says, why are you asking me? And the student says, well, where else can I find what I'm looking for? And he says, are you sure you've lost it? So you come, you know, you raise your little hand there and you come to me and in some version or another, you say, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, well, why are you asking me? <laughs> you know, well, where else am I supposed to look for it? And in some way or another, you know that I keep reflecting back. Are you sure you don't have it? Because I think you do. And his responses in that little uh, summary of the vignettes are not dismissals of genuine questions. And I don't want to dismiss your genuine questions. That's not the point. Why are you asking me this now? And what is the question under the question? Because many of you know, when you come forward, you get a little anxious. And, uh, and many of you get anxious, not because you're just afraid people are going to hear this or see it, or you, you know that it gets turned on you. Where suddenly we've gone in a different direction. Because I'm looking for the question under the question. What is your deepest longing? And what if in the reflection of our relationality, you realize that you already have what you're looking for? And over and over in a way, I'm keep reflecting to you, try, uh, let go of trying to find the answer to fix whatever you think's broken. So you can like finally get it right. Looking for like the right position, the best position and risk uh, not having a position. There are positions to take and there are problems to solve out there in the world. Absolutely true. That's not what Zen practice is for. Zen practice is to help you become the person who can meet all of those solutions by not having a particular position. So you're free to take any position that's needed this isn't about answering the question and finding the solution. It's becoming a person who can meet those solutions. So you're learning to be wholesomely unsure. What does it mean that my heart mind is the Buddha? What does it mean that all of this mess is the great sutra manifesting? That seems crazy. But Matsu, who is another one of the old guys at that particular time in a famous um, uh, ancestor in our lineage. <clears throat> imagine, um, imagine that he could be sitting in front of a computer screen instead of however many hundreds of years ago it was in China. And I'm going to read his words or translations, but imagine that um, this is what it's like to in this in uh, sitting in the screen where you and I meet, or even when you come and sit in the chair in front of me at Apamata. He said, right here and right now, he's saying this to the student, find your footing as a realized human being, <clears throat> meet me eye to eye as an equal. 
You're, you're, you're a full human being. Meet me as an equal. Drop the notion that there's something to get. You already have it. And then the punchline. Let's see it. Show me. Show me what you got. And th there's a, a poem that uh, Sutherland adds in, in her teachings from EQ, which is a, a wonderful uh, old ancestor. If you don't know about EQ, he was kind of a crazy guy. Um, he hung out in brothels and bars and very interesting places on 6th Street um, <clears throat> a long time ago. For those of you that aren't in Austin, that's an interesting entertainment district. Um, here's the poem. And once again, imagine that EQ wrote this today and said this on CNN. I mean, that's a crazy idea, okay? A belly swollen full of hell, unending eons of passion, wildfires burning without end, but flowering grasses are born again in the spring wind. A belly swollen full of hell. It sounds a little bit like it feels to watch the news, huh? Unending eons of passion. Man, it's always been this way, hadn't it? It keeps on going. Wildfires burning without end. But flowering grasses are born again in the spring wind. But for Matsu, you know, the, the hell, this hell wasn't the trouble that he saw around him. Hell was turning away from it. The hell was trying to escape into some separate peace and not meet with the great sutra that's unfolding, which is what Lori and Suzanne and Josh were inviting, what I'm inviting in inquiry. And then, then lastly, I said I was going to talk about the context and inquiry then this thing about questions, because that's our, our, our primary technique. And these old um, worthies, that's a word that's sometimes used in, in Zen history, uh, were these uh, women and men from the past that we read stories about who are practicing together in the midst of everything falling apart. They didn't know that they were making up teachings. They didn't know that people were going to collect their conversations in koans and call them koans. And that they would, there wasn't even such a thing. All they were doing is having conversations. And then years later, the power of those conversations are still echoing in our hearts and minds because they had something. But now, our conversations and inquiry that you can listen to on SoundCloud and you can see on YouTube are just ordinary conversations now, nothing more. Maybe. The same kind of conversations. And Lori and Suzanne and Josh use vivid, personal, vulnerable, sensory language. And that language that we use in inquiry like this is, um, as Sutherland says, meant to stop the flow of habitual thought and feeling for a moment, 
to surprise us into seeing things differently, or at least into asking non-usual questions about them. It's meant to draw on other parts of our intelligence besides cognitive thinking, like intuition and imagination. And this is what happens, isn't it? Suddenly, you find yourself in a space you didn't anticipate when you raised your hand. Not because you got an answer, but because you were led into a different space. And that's also why it's important not to jump into the space to quickly just to fill the space. It's also why it's important not to hold back and to jump into the space fully and wholeheartedly. But not to just fill the space or make sure there isn't a blank or to take care of me or to just speak for the sake of speaking it. What's the real question? Inquiry is not about answering your questions. It's about questioning your answers. Your answer to all of your questions is really easy to see. Just look at your life. Your life is the answer to the questions that you're meeting. That's how you're responding. So inquiry is not about giving you a bet. It's about questioning your answer. Your, your life. It's like, my life isn't working. Okay, that your life is your answer, so let's question that. I'm going to give you an answer. I'm going to question your answers. Huining, the sixth ancestor, said, it is precisely Buddhist conduct that is the Buddha. It's what Buddha nature does. Not something you think, not an answer you get. Suzuki Roshi, centuries later, said, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened people. There's only enlightened activity. And it's not something you can have. It's, a, it's an alive quality that flows through us. And the wonderful teacher, Peter Hershock, right over there in Honolulu, which I can almost see today, said, it's not enough to see what Buddha nature is. This is the quote. You have to realize what Buddha nature does. And the underlying assumption of inquiry or the koans or any of these conversations that are alive is that being a human being isn't a problem to be fixed through spiritual practice. Instead, this is a precious, disturbing, wondrous, devastating experience that we ought to take full advantage of if we can. And I love this line from Sutherland. She says, even the much maligned self doesn't need to be dismantled, just redirected to its own business, which is the survival of the organism and the sense of continuity in the life that organism is leading. I mean, this ego thing is really important not to be dismantled. Just realize it's not the only game in town. So our context is the relationality that opens us to the possibility of using everything as the ground of awakening that we meet around the questions that arise and find that we have what we need and our shaky 
vulnerability. I think in my email, I said something about, I'll offer my imperfect best. I can't do something like that. That's all I'm asking. And then what's the question under the question? What's the real question? What's the thing that is, uh, Suzuki Roshi called it your inmost request. That's what's important. This, uh, there are so many wonderful things that happen in our sessions together, including support and encouragement and inspirational things. But it's not a support group. It's supportive. It's an inquiry group. We can ask and we go further. Based on the beautiful support we offer each other, thank goodness we have the context to go further because it's required in the world right now with a belly swollen full of hell. See, unending passions for eons, wildfires burning without end. But flower and grasses are born again in the spring wind. So, as they say in the uh, head student ceremony, if you've never seen it, dragons and elephants, bring me your questions. <laughs> it's kind of a funny line. What does this call up? What does it ask of you? I, I threatened to do this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. So, Christiana, are you there? There you are. I was hoping you were talking about another Chris. I know, but remember I told you I'd probably call on you today. <laughs> Did you have your storm yesterday? Uh, a little bit, not much, a little bit. Yeah, um, I wanted to call you forward actually um, because I'm talking about things that have a good bit of power. Uh, and I just w wondered what, what was called forward in you as I spoke about it. Uh. Well, I, I felt um, I felt a great sense of joy throughout the whole talk. There were little little parts of me that were just were jumping up and down and up and down and like little kids. Um, and I had a little um, almost a, a, a subcontext while you were talking, and it was a, a dream that I had um, the night before yesterday. And, and sometimes I dream that um, that I'm with a teacher, sometimes men, sometimes women. But anyway, this teacher was saying some things um, as an instruction. And she ended, and the dream ended with, and she said, but most of all, are you getting bigger? Mm. And so I kept thinking of that during your whole talk. I kept hearing that question. But most of all, are you getting bigger? And as you were talking, I just felt myself getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly echoes that statement that Joko would talk about is, are we becoming a larger container? Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so when you felt uh, this sort of joy or, or energetic uplift, what is that? 
What was joyful about that? You know, the words that came to mind just now um, is the joy of meeting truth. Uh, it's, you know, it reminds me of, of um, when I was a kid, you know, we were, um, we were immigrants that came when I was four. And one of the things that we did when I was a kid, because we couldn't afford very much, we used to go to LaGuardia Airport to meet arrivals, just to watch. Um, at the arrivals building and we saw people and it actually makes me a little cheery thinking about it and I guess it must have evoked something in my parents you know to see the meetings you know but that's what this reminds me of this um, so hearing what you said today reminded me of the arrivals building where you know people who've not seen each other maybe for 25 or 50 years in some cases and they just you know, mm -hmm. I love that image. Have you ever yeah. seen the uh, students at UCLA were given um, pieces of music, uh, which were um, constructed by Ennio Marconi and played by Yo-Yo Ma mm. and make a small movie of one song. And I can't remember which one, but one of the students took one of the songs and it was just a montage of people meeting at the airport Ooh. and talk about weeping. <laughs> very evocative because there's something about that. And that is the, that is the energy around which uh, this, these meetings are important. Thank you. And thanks for letting me uh, call you forward out of the, the, the beautiful greenery of uh, New England. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jessica? Yeah. I, I was watching your face. Mm. <laughs> Things were moving. Yeah. Uh, almost immediately when you uh, started talking, actually, I had tears and I was wondering about that. Um, and as you and Chris were speaking about it, it, and I think the best way to to name it is just a feeling of coming home. Um, to myself and to each other, to you, and you know, these uh, it's something that feels more um, real. Mm -hmm. Good. And um, I spoke to you about this earlier, but it's you're re recovering from COVID and you're feeling better. Yes, I am feeling a lot better. I'm still, you know lingering just a little bit but um something feels like it's changed in me and i'm in a bit of a liminal space right now with that with knowing what it is but there's there's something deep that has shifted yeah and i can feel some of that and i think part of what i'm doing is reaching across into that space uh, to make a connection yeah. Thank you, Flint. Thanks. And thanks for holding our space today, too. <clears throat> Missy McCullough, come forward here. Yeah, just, just briefly, I just wanted to say I could see something in your face that it was very coming forward. I wanted to meet it. What's, what's happening? 
let myself feel everything that's that's here and it's like um i don't know what the right word is but uh, it's something in me is um opening up is the best way to say it something's opening up and i'm when i was breathing i could feel my lungs fill fill more i can I, see it yeah and it, uh, that's why i called on you yeah, it's like this incredible feeling of, you know, I just feel like I'm opening and hearing and listening and it just feels, I feel a lot of love from you and everybody else. And that is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's why this is, that's why my inquiry is so incredibly special. Because it really is like a big family. Yeah. And As I spoke, I could see you lean in to certain things. So I wanted to meet the leaning. I wanted to meet it. So thank you for letting me call on you. Of course. And I see some people have raised their hands. So Jessica will help us with that. Hello, Flint. And I just want to um, refer to um, what the sutta that I used in my inquiry talk when the Buddha said, um, it was just brilliant, and the genius of the Buddha 2,600 years ago, putting together the mind and the body and saying, you know, giving us the guidance uh, to say to ourselves, when um, I breathe, when I know I'm breathing in, I'm breathing in. Thinking thus, we train ourselves. Mm -hmm. They train ourselves. So um, I just consider your inquiry and our participation um, is this whole embodiment of training. Mm -hmm. And it's why, it's why practice is so essential in the transformation, not only our personal transformation, but the transformation all around us in the world. Mm -hmm. so I'm so grateful today in you presenting Joan's work um, and the cone work, I, I've never been attracted to cones, but I'm getting more and more attracted to them. Well, it's, uh, the quali it's the quality of what they stand for, whether or not you enjoy the actual koan stories or not. Mm -hmm. It's what they do because it turns. It turns, it turns yes. Us in a way that uh, nothing else can. And that's happening whether we use the traditional ones or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and attraction or the lack of it has not been about preference or dislike. It, it's been about what? What? Yeah, like they, would, they didn't really catch. Yeah, what? That sort of thing. But when I read that sutta that I, I um, read to all of us a couple of weeks ago, something came together. Yeah. And the mind and the body are not one. They're just manifestations of experience. Yes. So thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, my old friend Richard. Hi, Flint. Nice to see you. Really nice. You. I haven't been here as often as I would like, and I've also I see some people that I haven't seen in a long time. Hi, Missy. And I could go on and on, and Margaret and Susan and on and on, but I won't. But one of the things that I thought of as you were talking, it, it came into my mind this morning. Um, someone sent me 
but also I saw if if you get a the New York Times, they uh, mentioned that uh, Joni Mitchell had done the Newport Folk Festival for the first time in twenty years, and I, if all of you saw it, it just, just brought played, to you. Did you see it? Played her the, the one where she's doing the classic song. And I sent it to several of my friends and we're all weeping together. Oh, I, I couldn't, you know, the minute she started, you know, her voice is almost gone, but she sang both sides now and several others. But that one just, it just, and that the one. people on the stage singing, I just, I was losing it. I, you know, and, and then the, everyone around her was crying and the rest of the band was just <laughs> like, what are we seeing? Well, so many of them, so many of the band members look very young, and I wondered if they knew how important, but if you haven't seen it, it was just, and the lyrics, I've looked at life from both sides now, from up and down, and still somehow, it's life's illusions, I recall, I really don't know life at all, and it just, it, it fit with what you were saying to me, and I just thought it was incredibly beautiful, and she, uh, she was she looked amazing she's sitting down of course i think she's getting close to 80 but it so was just a really uh, uh touching moment or moments for me and i wanted to say that that evoked a lot yours as well but that made me think of that so to all if you haven't seen that please look at it it's and she does several other songs if you get deeper in there but that one both sides now was really great so. Well, and without even going too much further, I'll just say seeing your guitar behind you. Did yeah. you she also played a guitar solo. I saw that. And did you see what the woman, you know, Brandy was with her, did at the end? I didn't. She started doing full prostrations on the stage to her. Oh, heart. did she really? I didn't her see ballet. Wow. Well, it was touching. But anyway, nice to see all of you. Thank you, Richard. Nice to see you again. I'll try to be more uh, tuned in over the next while well, it's just lovely to see you yeah it's so great to see you too and i heard that you had covid i just got over it and i know jessica's dealing with it so anyway the best to all thank you we have the lovely ra hi Hello. it was nice to be introduced as the lovely ra i thought i thought that was appropriate that was totally appropriate <laughs> I'm not feeling very lovely, so it was particularly nice. Um, thank you, Jessica. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I thought I'd be that person to get up and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe mm -hmm. I speak for some other people here Please, today. Yeah, of course. Um, but some part of you knew to raise your hand and come forward. Yeah, I thought if I came up and said, I don't know what I'm doing. That's what you're doing. Something would mm -hmm. come more to life. Mm -hmm. um, that's what you're doing. Mm. It's coming forward in life. Mm. Coming forward here in life. You, you see, because you and I are spotlighted, we're larger. You see me primarily, but you see some other faces. I see a few down the side, yeah. You see a few. That's good. And there are many, many, many more. There are almost 80 more. So this is what she means by being fetchable. Mm. 
is if you step forward, then you can be caught in a lovely way, not trapped. Ah, that caught a breath in. What was the breath? That that's what's wanted, I guess. Uh, you know, I something softened a bit. It's like I could, I, I can feel myself in the not knowing what I'm doing is like in a in a kind of reactive tussle. But something softened when I mentioned the sort of fetchable idea and being mm. that by, by others being here, you could be taken, held. And vigilate, you know, cared for. And then see, there's more softened breath now, as if that's what that's the question under the question. Yeah. Something like, and this is my way of saying it, this may not be your will, will you hold me? Will you be with me? Mm. Will you see me? Mm. Something in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And can I show you? I haven't got a clue. But not having a clue is what you're showing. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That's what I want to show. And... That is the showing. And that's that's sufficient. You don't have to say, well, I don't really, really want what I'm doing. And in a bit, I will. And then, I... no, that's the complete 100% showing. Mm. That's the wholesome not knowing. Mm. It's like, okay. Let's rest together. Yeah. Yeah, and another exhalation. Let's just walk together. Let's just sit on a stone and watch the sky together. I can imagine that in your landscape. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want any clever words or, you know. The image that just... They can't come. They can't. That doesn't penetrate that place. No. The image I just had, and maybe it's just because of being in the landscape that I just mentioned in your part of the world, is when you on a on a footpath when you come and you come to a fence and there's one of those little ladder like things that you use mm -hmm. to go over, and you hold out a hand to someone and help them as they go over on a walk. Maybe something like that. That was another big breath. And, and that's enough. And then you turn in whatever direction you decided to continue on and you continue on. Together. With a bow. Yeah. Mucking along, you know. Pardon. Bucking along, mm -hmm. you know, through the fields and but together mm. with those spring breezes or the summer breezes, even though it's a bit warm right now. And so, will you continue walking with me? Yes. And I with you. Thank you, friend.
let's uh, voice the four practice principles, which are the reminder of how we de uh, meet and deconstruct the things that are in the way that make us fetchable. <laughs> and remember those words, uh, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. What a joy to be with you all. And Jessica? Appamata's programs and facilities are um, thanks to all of you and your generosity makes a huge difference. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can do so on the website at appamata.org backslash contribute. Thank you for being here, everyone, and for your input uh, in the chat. Thank you for the um, for sending out that video as well so that we can all check out Joni Mitchell. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I will hand it over to Maria if you'd like to stay after for some time on the porch. <laughs>